More than half of all companies globally are family-owned or operated. Family businesses contribute 70% of the world's GDP and account for 65% of jobs. Their voices are important. Their stories must be told. Brought to you by the award-winning publication, Tharavat Magazine. This is the Family Business Voice with your host, Ramya Elagami. Since 1938, the Dimichelis family has built their business on a foundation of societal sustainability, prioritizing suppliers, employees, and consumers. The loyalty and trust they've received in return have made their business, State Garden, what it is today. One of the largest repackagers of organic salad greens in the Northeast U.S., on this episode of the Family Business Voice, we spoke to Mark de Michelis about the importance of relationships, how trust eases transitions, and how these values are passed to the next generation of the family business. Enjoy this episode with Mark. Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the Family Business Voice here at Sarawak Magazine. We're delighted to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, following the magazine a long time. And it's great to see its success. Thank you so much. We're delighted to have you here to talk about your family business, State Gardens, and more specifically within the context of our ESG and sustainability collection. But more about that in a little bit. I like to start these conversations on a personal note. And one of the things I always love to ask people is, what is your earliest memory of your family business? Great question. The earliest memory I had was when my mom would drive us in to uh, where my father was working at the time, which was in Chelsea, Massachusetts. We're three boys, and she would pile the three of us in the um, old wood-paneled station wagon and drive us into the plant and uh, visit my dad for lunch. My earliest memories were always watching him actually doing the physical labor of working on the line with the rest of his folks. And he was always, always struck me as just a bull of a man who was getting his hands dirty every day. And he would not send anyone to do a job unless he had done it already or continued to do it. When I joined, we were in the same facility and we had about the same number of employees that we had during those memories. And my aunt was always a fixture there as well. My dad and my aunt ran the business after my grandfather started it uh, for decades. And so it, it really was like, you know, no different than getting everyone together on a Sunday for dinner. Uh, it was the same group that you would go visit with, uh, only there was business being done instead of us, you know, sitting around a living room or a kitchen. I love the story of your family because it feels like every generation has contributed a very pivotal strategic move to getting you from where, you know, you started in the first generation as an immigrant family from Italy, basically, to where you are today, which is just like, it's, it's incredible. Your operations have grown so much. Like we're talking, I think, 900 employees, uh, you know, and it's, and it, I think it's, it's a, it's a huge, huge leap, even in, in that amount of time. Could you give us a little bit of an idea when you talk to your brothers today about this, or when you talk to your kids about this, like in your head, were there like these key decisions that every generation took 
that ultimately were instrumental to get you where you are today? Like, and what are they? Sure. I think certainly the guts that it took for my grandfather to take whatever savings he had and make a bet on himself mm. was probably the most important decision. Mm. And then in the 1960s, uh, they were redeveloping the area that they were located. They handed them a $15,000 check to vacate the waterfront property that they had, which is now Faneuil Hall Marketplace. And he mm. took that money along with a lot of his savings and reinvested it in a new facility in the late 60s, which is where I remember going and I remember visiting. And then after that, I think the pivotal thing for our generation was when we realized we needed to expand in order to provide three incomes, uh, three families to sustain. And we invested heavily in acquiring some new businesses. And then we invested heavily getting into this uh, pre-washed salad business, which was in its infancy, mm -hmm. and then steering it towards organic, which we yeah. thought was, um, you know, at the time, the next big thing. And we were the first one on the East Coast to really invest heavily in that. And it worked out pretty well. I'd love for you to tell us the story of Olivia's organics, because I think it's a lovely story. And it's a story that also kind of like sets us up a little bit more towards the sustainability discussion. Sure. Love to. When we were in the, just getting into the business in 98, 99 and 2000, we were selling probably 90%, 95% of the product was conventionally grown hmm. and 5% was organic. And we were very small. We were using maybe a load to two loads a week of these baby lettuces that started popping up on all the everyone's plates from uh, spring mix to baby spinach to arugula. And being educated in Vermont, I think I was exposed to a young age what organic was. Mm -hmm. Organic folks want to know where their food is coming from. They want to know that it is being grown in the uh, gentlest ways. And they want to know that the company providing that is true to their values and true to their words. So we felt that we needed to find a brand that represents who we wanted to be and who we already were. So I hired a graphic artist to come up with several different looks. And I would say it was about a six to 12 month process where he would bring in a number of different concepts and nothing really rang and nothing really was working. Everything from the big red barn company to the earthy crunchy salad company to <laughs> a million different things. And none of it was really resonating with us. And then one day, um, a, a young lady who's still working for us now and is our customer service lead walked into my office and said, um, I'm, I'm a little tired of watching you fumble around with this idea. And <laughs> I said, okay. And she said, uh, what's your daughter's name? I said, Olivia's. Isn't Olivia's Organics a nice idea? And I was like, uh, yeah, I think it is. <laughs> so we went back and I think the fun part with that was Olivia was the only, only gal out of uh, eight grandchildren at the time. 
And she was the only female born in our family in 40 years. So we thought, what a great way to kind of project the next generation to rally around something. And at the same time, we we launched a, a charitable foundation and really had some mission behind that as well. Uh, very, very active in the uh, Greater Boston Food Bank. And we were donating foods to kids' cafes and school lunch programs. And I really think that rallied the organic consumer even more because they want to know that these companies mean something beyond just the lettuce that's in the bag or the box. I love how when you talk about, you know, venturing into the organic food sector, that the motivation seems to be very social and minded towards the consumer and what you wanted to offer the consumer. As a family, did you have a strong environmental motivation as well? Like, was it equal, would you say? Or like, was it primarily the idea of providing, you know, people better food? It's both. I grew up in a town just north of Boston that had some very, very tough environmental issues. Mm. And became somewhat of a um, a rallying point to make sure that we're all doing our part and not carelessly polluting the ground. So it did at a very young age. You know, I knew a lot of kids who had cancer and leukemia from tainted drinking water due to just hazardous waste not being disposed of in the proper way, illegally dumped. And, you know, I, I understood at that point, you know, we're going to get what we give. If we keep going down this path, it's probably not going to be a path that we want to live with. Mm. So what can we do in our own little corner of the world to help? And getting into the organic piece was a confluence of events that kind of just worked its way together for me in my mind and us where we're probably selling the healthiest thing you can sell mm -hmm. and farming it in probably the most responsible way. And if you can do that and make money on top of it, that's a win, win, win. How, as a family, how did you sort of like go about the governance of it all? Sort of like the, the part, like the structural part, like did you divide and conquer? Like did someone lead uh, the transformation? What was your strategy there? We absolutely divided and conquered. My brothers and I, we have very different personalities and we all kind of went to what made us most comfortable, which is a good thing because it wasn't as if we were all clamoring over the same job. And we gave each other enough space and enough room to make that job their own. So my brother, John, was always very heavily involved in the plant and the operations. Um, my brother, Kevin, was heavily involved in the sales. And I was kind of involved in the general direction of where the company was to go. And in order for us to make a move, we would always sit down and say, is this a move that we want to make? Mm -hmm. And if one of my brothers said, no, this is not the move we want to make, then you know, it was pr pretty much a rule by, by being unanimous here. Mm -hmm. um, I think if we all went hell-bent 
on our own direction and our own agenda, it was never going to work. And, you know, there were times when I wanted to do something and they said no, or they wanted mm-hmm. to do something and I said no. Um, but we respected each other's opinion. What do you think is the biggest challenge for businesses around you in your industry, but also without, to make sure that they are set up for sustainability? Where do you think the challenges are primarily that, quite frankly, some of this is taking a lot of time, a lot more time than we'd like it to? I think you're asking companies to get out of their core competency in mm-hmm. some respects. and. That's hard. Changing is hard. And when you're so used to farming in a certain way, or you're Mm. so used to operating your manufacturing facility in a certain way, you have to make sure that I think the intention is there and the intention is good for a lot of folks. But I also think they need to find a way to continue to balance the concern for the planet with the concern for their own profits. And Mm -hmm. I think some folks are running into a wall where I can only charge this for my product and no one's going to purchase it for this plus X Mm -hmm. in order to make it more environmentally friendly or sustainable. And I think the challenge we're seeing for a lot of companies is there is intent. I don't question a lot of the intent. I really don't. But I think when it comes down to, are people going to be willing to pay more for this product Mm -hmm. or that product to make it more sustainable? And if I'm the first one doing it and my competitors aren't, am I putting myself at a competitive disadvantage? And am I going to be able to sustain the profitability of the company um, when somebody is undercutting us? So, you know, the change part here has to be measured with the viability of the business once it does make that change. And I think that's where you're really running into it. And I can't speak for Europe because I'm, you know, I'm, I know what happens here. And, you know, we're a very quarterly driven mm-hmm. society. We need to make our numbers every quarter. And if we don't, we're either going to have upset investors, upset customers, or something will break down. So how do we stop looking at a quarterly look and looking at a 5, 10, 15, 20-year look? And that's a question that remains to be seen. Do you feel that there's a real possibility here that many of the businesses that are going to do well with like, you know, adhering to sort of like sustainable standards are going to be family-owned? Or do you feel like it's more of a chance factor? I think a family business positions itself to think long-term. When we're making decisions today, or when my dad was making decisions, it was, okay, we, we need to make money. We need to show up every day and make money. But it forces you to think further down the road. Is this the direction that I want my kids to go? Is this a place where I want them to be And now I'm asking those same questions. If my kids and my nephews truly want to be in this business, you want to leave them something that they're going to be proud of Mm -hmm. and something that's going to be their, let's call it wow factor, Mm -hmm. where, wow, 
I'm really excited to be involved in this piece. Yeah. And it goes beyond just the profits. You, you need to make sure that there's something there that the children have pride in yeah. and feel valued. I definitely think family businesses are meant to think longer term. Mm. But I also feel the way people are demanding more accountability for virtually all the products that are being sold now, it's not just the family businesses who are going to come and look at uh, these sustainability practices. I truly feel that every company from Apple to Exxon needs to look at what their legacy is going to be moving forward because just the turn and burn profit making isn't going to be sustainable for their customers. It's not going to be valued by their customers. And I just truly feel that the way ESG investing now in some of the money that I've seen flying into different sectors that I never thought would even be considered viable, I'm not saying they are viable yet, but considered to be even closely viable, is showing me that there is legs to this. And it means we always, we as a family business need to continue to improve and look to do things better mm -hmm. to keep up with this trend. Even though we feel we're on the cutting edge and leading edge of, you know, being good stewards to the environment, good stewards to the network of people we have working with us, we can always do better. And we're trying to do better every day. We talked about how every generation in your family has been able to provide a pivotal strategic change to the company, moving it forward. Uh, you've had the chance of working with your son now. You've had the chance of imagining what it would be like to have a fourth generation coming into the business or is already involved in the business. Uh, I know that they're they've been involved in the philanthropic side at the very least, uh, all of them, the very enthusiastically. But tell me, what do you expect? Like when you sit around with your brothers, and I believe you all share an office together, when you talk to We each do. other about the fourth generation, and what are your uh, hypotheticals here? What is going to happen when these guys take over? What, what do you hope for? And what uh, does your imagination allow for this next the Michaelis family generation to achieve? My first goal for all of them is to be happy. because. If you're not happy, you're not going to be successful doing anything, whatever it is you choose to do. And I think my goal for them is the same goal that we have for all our folks in our network is to feel valued. And I think what this next generation is going to need to do is they're going to need to find their own paths. And we're going to need to find a way to integrate their own paths into the larger organization. What I don't want them to do is to feel that they're just kind of in the slipstream of the generation that was before, mm -hmm. and they're caught up in that slipstream. I think for each one of them to feel valued at the end of the day, they're going to need to find what it is that lights their fire and pursue it. And if it's within the organization, that's great. If it's not, that's okay too. 
because mm-hmm. we're there to support them. And again, happiness being the number one goal here. And this might be a little off the subject, but I'd be remiss if I didn't just mention this one line that I heard spoken at the Family Business Award at UVM. They were honoring a family business, and the owner of the company at the time said, um, asked what, what you know the secret to their longevity was. And he, and he said, very smart. He said, does the family keep the business together or does the business keep the family together? And I'm wondering that same question now as we move forward to the fourth generation. At first glance, you sit there and you say, oh, the family definitely kept the business together. Then you think, wow, if we didn't have the business, I would be seeing my nephews and talking to them every day. And I wouldn't be having my son come home and, you know, ask me all these different questions about where we were or where we're going. And it provides this commonality among all of us. And it's definitely binds the family together. Thank you so much, Mark, for providing us with these insights and for giving this interview to us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. It's so great to chat with you. Thank you for listening to the Family Business Voice. Subscribe to our channels now on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify to be notified of our weekly episodes. 